All right, man. Beautiful stuff this morning. I love when worship starts with uh, talking about what Jesus did and ending with praising him for who he is. That's, that's good worship, right? All right. Well, uh, I want to apologize. My, uh, my side of the church went on vacation this week, so um, the church is leaning a little bit this way, so if you feel a little off balance and you need to, if you have balance issues, you can kind of join this crew over here. Uh, next week, y'all get vacation. All right, it's up to y'all. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a great weekend to be away, so we've got, we got a number of folks on vacation. Y'all be praying for them as they travel and are all over the place. I'm excited about today, man. Just, uh, this has been a really encouraging week for me. Uh, a lot of struggles this week, too, that I'm going to share at the end of the service that really kind of after the message, you'll see how the Lord has spoken to me regarding um, just life and what life brings. Uh, you'll see some of that in the message, too. Uh, but there's some things I want us to talk about uh, together as a church uh, in, in our time after the service today. So but just a great week, man, of uh, spending time in the Word and in the, in the words that God has been speaking for me personally and for the body uh, have been just incredible. So I hope some of that will come out today in the message. Uh, it's always hard for me to translate what I feel, what I'm experiencing uh, in my words to you guys. But I know that the Holy Spirit is bigger than that, and he definitely communicates. So today we're going to be talking about seeing, uh, Jesus seeing us in the crowd. Um, this this uh, was a, part of the passages this week that I read uh, drew some common conclusions uh, that I've never seen before in the text that we're going to read today out of Luke chapter 18 and 19. Two stories that you'll be familiar with, that most of you will be, that you've grown up with, but I think some new insights maybe that the Lord is trying to show us on the heels of what he's already been showing us about himself over the past uh, weeks and months. Uh, So what we're looking for today is just trying to find out who is Jesus. I love the song we sang this morning about Jesus being enough. Uh, That's what the title of this series is, if you've forgotten that. Um, it's, it's, uh, we are looking at Jesus and realizing that if we can just grasp who he is, that, that that's going to be enough to, to not only transform our hearts toward him, it'll be enough to motivate us toward the service that he desires from us so that our, so that our service doesn't come because of pressures from the outside or expectations or lists of supposed tos or should haves and ought to's, but they come from the inside. It's a natural outflow of what uh, Jesus has done uh, by revealing himself to us, but also that it gives us, it changes us. He changes us. Being around Jesus uh, changes us in such a way that people around us see it. And you'll see that in the text today, just how beautifully that unfolds. Uh, but we, we're going to take a little bit of what we've heard already. I'm going to go back in just a minute and remind us of last week after we read our text. And then we'll see how Jesus reveals himself as a servant leader. What does it mean for him to be a servant leader? What it means is that he sees people in the crowd. He sees individuals in a crowd of people. He doesn't respond to crowds the same way that we do. And so we'll look at it today. In Luke chapter 18, 35 to 43, that would be the first text that we'll read today. And we'll dive into that and then share another story at the end. So Luke 18, uh, 35 to 43. 
As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Now last week, Jesus said that to be great in the kingdom of God meant to suffer and to become the servant of all. Remember that. James and John wanted places of priority beside Jesus, and Jesus makes it clear that if you're going to sit by my side, then what it means is you're going to suffer unjustly, and you're not going to have a place in this world of, uh, for yourself, for your flesh to, to rise up. You're not going to have the, the praise of men. But instead, you're going to become the servant of all. Now, on the heels of saying this, Jesus is in this text, I believe, revealing what he meant when he said being the servant of all. What may seem unusual and somewhat surprising is that Jesus didn't demonstrate service by serving the masses, but individuals. And particularly in these two stories, individuals that nobody liked, that nobody else was taking care of, nobody else was reaching out to. So there's some great principles that we can learn as we try to make application to last week's message about what does it mean to be a servant of all. We, Jesus closed out last week's uh, the, the dialogue with the disciples prior to their journeying to Jericho by telling them, that he was, going, he was a servant of all, that he would die, that he would offer his life. That he didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve. And so we're going to make sense today about what that looks like. I hope that some of us today will see ourselves as those individuals who matter to Christ. That we're more than just a face in the crowd, another face, in a sea of faces. Maybe you've been rejected by the crowd or even the church or maybe even by this church or feel rejected by this church. Realize that Jesus sees you today. And so find a proper response to this message. Find yourself in the story. Gathering place members, I hope we will see ourselves as those who are hungry to be like Christ and follow his example of servant leadership as he reveals it in the text today. So let's look at it. First thing I noticed, which I hope is the first thing you notice, is that Jesus was passing by. 
right? How many times have we come across that in our study of Jesus in the Gospels? This is in the, in the everydayness of life. This is in as he walks, he's, as he was drawing near to Jericho. Jesus is passing by. We've seen this so much that when Jesus is passing by, when he's present, that all the possibilities open up to us, all the possibilities of encountering him and experiencing him, all the possibilities of discovering by experience the character that the Bible teaches about and knowing him by experience, all those things are present when Jesus is passing by. So I'll remind us again of that. And I think it's interesting how many times we've discovered that one little phrase. You know, so many of us feel like we have to be so intentional in what we do. For most of us, evangelism and discipleship and ministry has been the result of a lot of careful thought, usually by uh, those of us in the upper echelon of the church, you know, the, the big wigs passing it down to the little people to go and do our bidding. Kind of joking, but kind of not. That's what it felt like. You know, usually those things are planned programs that we have to put in place and go and do. And this this week, man, God's really been dealing with me about that in the in the wake of of the floods and and all the people in need around us. And I'm going to speak to that more at the end. But that we feel like we all have to have a plan. There needs to be an organized effort. I'm not against organization, but I just want to tell you that Jesus did all of what he did as he went places. He he did what he did as he lived life. And I think it is beautiful that as Jesus walks in the context of a crowd, that one of the things that we, as he just walks through his life, as he's journeying on the way to Jericho, he's coming near to Jericho, that we find Jesus in a crowd and a mass of people seeing individuals. So, look, you, you may feel like this is, uh, this is a big crowd of people, maybe big for you, to sit among a bunch of folks, particularly if you're on the left side. And for those of you that are listening uh, to the podcast, I'm not talking about politi- politics. You may feel like this is a lot of people, and you may feel like, well, I'm glad I'm here because I will get whatever blessing the people get. I, you know, God's going to feel good about me because I'm hanging out with people who are spiritual people. I want to tell you that Jesus is here today. His Holy Spirit is present. As present as Jesus was present in this story, walking to Jerusalem, he's passing by today, if you will. He is here. He's present. He's moving. He's working. He's ready to speak to you. He's ready to open up your life, and you can find yourself in the story by relating to that. Jesus is passing by. He's here. So the second thing is, a man who was at the end of himself and was aware that Jesus was passing by called out to Jesus. Here's a, a blind man who's at the end of himself. He is, he is done with blindness. It's not something he wants to embrace. He's ready for the blindness to be gone. So he's at the end of that, and he calls out to Jesus. The point that the Lord really drove home for me through this story in this particular aspect of the story this week is that it's so important that we get to the end of ourselves in order to really see our need for Jesus and then to cry out to him from a heart of repentance. Most of you grew up like I did 
you made a, a commitment maybe as a child uh, in a church and it was kind of the natural thing to do. And, you know, what, that's not bad. Some of you have a genuine, deep relationship with God uh, that resulted from that initial encounter with God. And I can't tell you, though, also how many times I hear the story of, and mine is one of those, of people who have made some decision that just kind of followed the routine of their parents or the tradition of their family or the tradition of their church at the right age, at the right time. They did their walk, uh, as uh, somebody mentioned this week, their walk down the plank. <laughs> they did their walk down the, the aisle or the plank, and, and they followed it, went, went into baptistry waters, and they, and they, but then they come up in their lives and realize there's no life. There's no difference in their soul. There's, there's something missing. And when the Bible begins to describe what it, what it means to be a Christian, the passions that come with becoming a believer and what the Holy Spirit produces in the, in the form of fruit in their lives, they don't see any of it. And they begin to question and ask, what's the problem? Now, I'm not the all-knowing, all-wise one, but I can tell you that in my estimation and prayerful estimation of the problem, I really believe that a lot of the problem exists in the fact that we have never come to the end of ourselves. And that we've not really cried out to Jesus from the end of ourselves as sinners from both sides, sinners who have lived a life of a pagan lifestyle, pursuing the passions of our flesh and gotten to the end of ourselves like the prodigal son that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And, and we're at the end of ourselves and we, we're, we're there in the, in the, at the end of ourselves crying out to God, turning away from our, our life of sin. And then most of us, if, if something never changes, we, we come from a life of, of goodness, of spiritual goodness, uh, uh, which is spiritual sin. It's something that we think we can do for ourselves, gaining for ourselves like the elder brother did, something from the Father that we deserve. And we make a mockery of the things we've been singing about when we do that. You can't have grace and also have works. It, it, works spits in the face of a crucified Christ, of the grace of God that's offered to us freely, that gives us salvation and righteousness and perfection, not based on our works or our, something we deserve, based on the work of Christ, the finished work. And, and we have gotten to the end of ourselves, and we've never cried out to God. And I think that's the problem. A lot of us that grew up in churches that were works-based and, and told us, just be good, be good, be good. And we, we were good. We were better than most, according to the church standards. And we never get to the end of ourselves, so we don't see a need to cry out. Jesus is in the midst of a, of a crowd of people, and there's one that's crying out so loud that he hears him. I think we need to get to the end of ourselves it was at the end of himself that he, that when he realized that Jesus was passing by, he makes his cry to Jesus. He calls out from a repentant heart. Third thing I noticed in the story is that Jesus had to resist the tendency to work the crowd for personal gain in order to make time for this man. Look at it in verse 37 and 38. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth, I'm sorry. Not yet. Save that verse. Same, same story, same point. We've already read this text. But Jesus had to 
he had to leave the crowd. Can you imagine today uh, me as a pastor? Well, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm getting better than this, but I can tell you me as a pastor in years past, how excited I was to see a crowd of people. That, man, when the, when the church was full and somebody was there to listen to me speak, you know, where my, you know where my mind was? It wasn't on individuals within the crowd. It was individuals were blurred. There were no faces in the crowd. You know what you became? A number. And as long as we had a full house, it didn't matter where you came from or what your desire was or if you ever got to the end of yourself, as long as you showed up and sat in one of the seats, and we counted, by the way, every Sunday to find out how many people there were. I'm so embarrassed by that now. I mean, I'm so, it breaks my heart to think that I, was, that I bought into that. But it's what we do as men. We make much of ourselves when a crowd gathers to, to, around us, I, there's no chance that I'm leaving that crowd to go spend time with one person. And there's, there's, listen, Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, and I know this is the temptation of any preacher. Because the first thing that I get asked when I see any of my preacher friends is, how many of y'all have a church Sunday? That's all that matters. How many showed up? One's not enough. But Jesus had to resist that. So because he's a man and he was tempted in every way like we were, I'm challenged by that. I'm embarrassed when the, now whenever I think about her, this tendency that I have or my desire. It's still there at times to, to have a house full of people. Be worried about how many are here instead of who's here. Jesus wasn't worried about that. Now, Luke 18, 37 and 38, Jesus told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Not only did Jesus have to resist personal gain from the crowd, but he had to go against the crowd on how he handles this man. Look in the next verses, 39 and 40. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Man, I'm just reminded of last week's message. Of James and John. This was the previous day's encounter with James and John when they wanted their place of priority. And, and even the disciples, remember when the, when the young child was wanting to come to Jesus and they, they would forbid the children to come. And Jesus says, don't forbid them to come. Let them come to me. This is what the kingdom of God is made of. You know, it's like we think that there's people that can't come to Christ. And, and so Jesus not only had to go, not only had to get his eyes off of the crowd and what, the, what he could personally gain from the crowd, but he had to go against what the crowd thought was right. By, not, by stepping toward this man, by telling them to bring him to them. And the crowd thought the best thing was for him to be quiet. And Jesus says, no, don't tell him to be quiet. Bring him to me. So Jesus had to go against the crowd. Now, I love the fact that this is the way Jesus is responding to an individual. I love that. Man, I, I, listen, I, I appreciate the fact that 
One of our members today was, was writing names of people down because there's so many new faces that have, been come, that are, that have come since Elsie's uh, been back in school. I appreciate that. I mean, I think it comes from the right heart. I, I'm terrible with names. I want to know your names. You know, but I'm also, I'm so centered on myself. You know, if I really was just loved you enough, I would learn your name, and I will. I'm working on that. I'm not, I'm, I have a lot of problems. <laughs> you can realize that most of you know that. The, rest, the ones that are laughing know me. There's nothing hidden here. But there's something in that, right, of, of knowing people that are here. I'm, and we're not trying to grow a big church. We're trying to keep our churches small so that you can know the people that you're around. I, I had good church this week in Ruston with nine, ten people. We had great church. They, they finally figured out this week that that can be church, that it, you don't have to have a, a building and a bunch of people. You know, you can have church. That's everything you need for church can happen in a home. And one of the reasons is because you can see people, and Jesus does that. That is who he is. He, he has a tendency, or he resists his tendency to work the crowd for personal gain and takes time for the individual. Fourth thing, Jesus called out for him and gave him an opportunity to complete his repentance. He had, turned his, tur- he had already turned from his life or his desire to be a, a blind man, a dependent man. He didn't want that. A man with no future. That's what he's leaving. Remember, a, a repentance is an about face. It's a, it's a U-turn. I'm going one direction. I go completely the other direction. So he knows what he's leaving. And he, he's, he had already done that. He's ready for that. But now comes the final aspect of repentance. It's turning to something or someone. And so he calls out to Jesus from his nothingness. And he finds Jesus calling for him. And then a moment of completion was offered for him. A moment for him to complete his repentance was offered. Listen, church, y'all with me? Say, oh yeah. There is a moment. There is a moment in our lives. Listen, it's all knowledge until that moment comes. That there's a time for everybody when Jesus will come to you and, and you might finally be, you will be when he comes. Finally at the end of yourself and you're ready to repent, to turn from what you've been in control of all of your life, from what you've considered to be your goals and dreams and plans, and and to turn to somebody. And he stands there for you today. He's here today, walking by. The good news is he sees you. Nobody else in here may even know your name. Jesus sees you and he knows your name and he's calling out to you. And he's offering you an opportunity to complete your repentance. Unless you repent, you will perish. Nobody ever gets into glory with, and spends eternal life, begins eternal life and spends eternity with Christ outside of a moment of turning, not just from your old lifestyle. And some of you have turned from an old lifestyle like I did. You turned from... A, a non-religious lifestyle to a religious lifestyle. That's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to get you the same place you were before. And you're going to have to get to the end of that before you can make a good turn. This man turns to Jesus. He asks him this probing question and gives him the opportunity to finish his repentance. What's the question? Look at it in verse 40 through 41a. 
And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Again, not a hard question for this guy, right? What's he repenting from? He's repenting from blindness, dependence, no future. But he gives him the question, and he's going to ask you that question today. He's got a question for you today. It may not be exactly like this, and we'll see another question or another opportunity offered in a different way, but there is an opportunity, a moment today that is offered to you. And the question is, have you repented? Have you repented of your passions of the flesh and trying to make a way for your life in just doing what you feel is best for you that, that, that takes care of your flesh and, your, and gives you pride? Have you turned from that and turned to Jesus and said, I want your salvation, I want a relationship with you and whatever that brings? Have you trusted him enough, put your faith in him to do that? Have you turned from your righteousness from your being good enough, being a member of the right church, being a part of the right group, being good, have you turned from that and turned to Christ? The prodigal son and his brother are, that we talked about are great examples of that, coming from two different perspectives. Some of you are like the prodigal that turns from works, or turns, you, you turn, but you turn to works as a solution. You turn from a pagan lifestyle, but you turn to works as a solution you need to turn to Jesus today fifth thing the man makes his confession and he experiences God exclusive activity he makes his confession and something happens that can only happen because God does it he said Lord let me recover my sight and Jesus said to him recover your sight your faith has made you well and immediately he recovered his sight. Listen, when Jesus comes to you personally, I mean, he's here, but when his Holy Spirit touches you personally, when you experience that touch of the Holy Spirit and you realize who he is, there needs to be a moment of response. And this man makes his, has his moment of response. I'll never forget my moment of response. I was a religious person. I was a guy who didn't even turn from bad, from what I thought was bad to something good. I was a guy that turned from, that just made a commitment really to be a part of my parents' religion at an early age. And I was a good part because my mom was always pleased with me, always pumped me up when I did good things. And I, was, I liked her approval. I liked the approval of other people. And I had an approval addiction. You know that until just since we've been a church. I'm, I'm claiming that that's broken. But I had this tendency to try and please people all of my life. I, I moved from religion to religion. But my junior year in high school, summer before my senior year, I got Legionnaire's disease, which is a rare. At the time, it had just been discovered in 77. I had it in the summer of 78. And I was going to die from this disease. I'd, I actually did, a, most of you know this, but my junior year in an English class, I chose a random topic off a list of topics and the topic was Legionnaire's disease. I never heard of it. Didn't even care what it was. I just like, I don't care about school. I pull a topic, write a paper. I was that kind of student. Most of you know that. I picked this random topic off that God had arranged for me. He put it on the list because he knew my future. 
I read this, uh, wrote this paper. All I remembered about that when I was diagnosed with the disease was that I remembered that everybody that got the disease died from it. That wasn't true. That's just what I remembered. <laughs> Which, that gets worse with age. There's a lot of things I remember that aren't true. Now, I think God had that in my mind. So one thing that he amplified out of that one story because he wanted me at the end of myself. And for the first time for me in my life as a religious junior in high school who had played, played all the games, made all the decisions, walked the plank, baptized. A guy who was, you know, I was the, the big leader in the youth group. I came to the end of myself because I thought, I'm dying. Do I really know God? And the answer from God was, no, you don't. My life was radically transformed. I had a moment with God. It was a moment in my life where I responded to God and I said, I want a relationship with you. And I, I remember distinctly what I was thinking about when I made that decision. And it was, I was so worried about what my friends would think about me. Particularly five guys came to mind. I went through all five of those and thought, how are they going to respond and what am I going to say to them? And it didn't matter anymore. I was just thinking of what my responses were going to be. I wasn't thinking about the option of not responding. I was done with myself. I was so ready to have Christ, and, and we need that. We need to have a moment of decision. He, so he makes his confession. Of course, he experiences God, exclusive activity, and so did I. I was saved in a hospital bed, not in a church. I was saved by the Holy Spirit, touching my heart, making sense, helping me make sense of life. I encourage you guys, listen. Some of you have been listening for a long time. Some of you have been putting information in your brain a long time. You did it at home. You're doing it here, college students. Uh, adults, you've done it for all your life. You might have been a pastor of a church. You've been doing it all of your life. You're good at it. I was good at it. I'm going to tell you guys, listen. You need a moment where you repent and turn to Christ. This man has it. And God-exclusive activity happens. His life is transformed. Some of you are trying to live a transformed life and you never even repented. You've never given your life to Christ. Maybe today's your day. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about that. Last thing about this particular man. He was transformed. And those that were around him were drawn to God. Now let's go back to what we were singing about this morning and what we talked about this morning. What we're hoping for is that you will find a transformation that will change you in such a way that people are drawn to God. That God-exclusive activity, God-exclusive change happens in your life. People know it's not you. It has to be God. It can't be you. And that they're drawn to him. Look at it, verse 43. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. All right, listen, it's not that complicated. When we respond from a heart that's honest, when we respond to Jesus and his response to us, people see Jesus in us. And they will be drawn to him. Be, they, they will see him in us and they will see him working through us. We don't want to make up what we do as a church. We don't want to be out in the community trying to do something with the masses or with, even with individuals that, to, to get brownie points, to earn something. We want this to be authentic change. And those of you that have had any engagement with the really lost in this community know this town needs to, desperately needs to see hearts that have been authentically transformed and lives that are being lived in response to that. We need that. 
John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Jesus describes what I'm describing here in this way. He says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, uh, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow streams of living water. We talked about last week about what was our few couple weeks ago. What was it that drew sinners to Jesus? This is it. it Jesus drew sinners to Jesus. It's his character. It's his person. And if, if we can get in connection with him in such a way that he transforms us, if we can know him, it will transform us. And people around us will see him, and it will be like living water to them. Some of you might be thinking that, that, uh, that you don't have that. I just want to again encourage you. Here's, find yourself in the story. Be blind Bartimaeus. Get to the end of yourself. See Jesus crying out, calling out to you, moving beyond whatever anybody thinks about him, looking at you maybe when nobody in this church will even give you a, a second look. He finds you and he offers you repentance. Turn your life over to him and that will happen in your life. Now some of us, some of you are thinking what I thought at this point. I got to the end of the story and I thought, you know, as I've said already, uh, what else could a blind man do? How hard is it for a blind man to come to the end of himself and cry out to Jesus, heal me? He had nothing about his condition was attractive. Well, I would argue in some cases, you know, he was taken care of. And certainly there are times when, when, when we take advantage of our weakness, of our time of weakness, or the fact that someone will take care of us. But we, he wasn't there. So how hard is it for him to repent? But listen, I believe it's by God's design and for our church. I'm going to say it again. Y'all ready? Because I'm going to read this passage and we're out of here. But we've got to get this message. I believe it's by God's design and for our church that we are about to discover this truth in this passage. Normally when we get to another chapter... In the Bible, we, just, we tend to tune the other chapters out. And we spend so much time studying one passage that we don't connect the passages or the events of what's, what Jesus is teaching his disciples as he walks with them. So look at what happens next. Because, man, it, it has, this is a wealthy man. This is not a blind man. This is a wealthy man who has it all, who has power and position. And you're going to see the same sequence in the story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19. I'm going to read this through, and I'm just going to make the same points as we read through it. All right, so watch this with me. Watch how Jesus does the same thing. This is how Jesus becomes the servant of all. He doesn't just become a servant of those in need. He also becomes those who are physically in need, but he also becomes a servant of those who have no physical need. Or in their mind, they've got it all. They've got everything they need. He sees you too. Thank God for that. Look at it with me. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Jesus was passing through. All right? There it is. Same thing that happened with blind Bartimaeus happens with Zacchaeus. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. A man who was at the end of himself. Do you see him? Do you see this tax collector 
who's at the end of himself, who's determined to see Jesus, just like blind Bartimaeus. This man was at the end of his wealth. He was at the end of his position. And you see it because he he climbs up in a sycamore tree and embarrasses himself. He's a man who's probably already made fun of because he's short and he's hated by the community because he's a tax collector. Can you imagine getting the gumption up to climb this tree, knowing everybody's saying, what's up, shorty? Money, you know, get your ladder, buy some legs, you know. And he didn't hurt at all. He didn't care. There was something that happened. He got to the end of himself, and he climbs up in this tree. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. All right, here it is again. Jesus had to resist the tendency to work the crowd in order to go to this man. In fact, just like in Bartimaeus' story, he had to go against the crowd. They hated him. They don't want tax collectors to be saved. Tax collectors have no place in the kingdom of God, according to the Jewish person and their leaders. Look at it again. Jesus calls out to him and gives him an opportunity to complete his repentance. This man was at the end of himself, but he's got to turn to somebody. And so Jesus calls out to him and offers him an opportunity to complete his repentance. And the man made his response, and he experienced God-exclusive activity. He came down and received him joyfully. What does that mean? And then Jesus said, I'm going to your house. I I must stay at your house. Going to your house came from the song. I must stay at your house. That word stay is the same word for abide, remain. I think it's so beautiful that Jesus says, he points out a person rejected by the crowd. He sees a wealthy man's face. He sees the, that he's at the end of himself, humiliating himself by climbing a tree so that he can get in contact with Jesus, calling out to Christ. And Jesus says, you, face in the crowd that everybody else has rejected, that nobody else notices, come down because I'm going to abide at your house probably overnight. I'm going to go and remain there. I'm not just going for a quick visit. I'm going to go remain or abide at your house. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the man was transformed. And those who were with him were transformed. The Bible says that that he received salvation and his family. His own house. The people of his house were drawn to God because of the change they saw in Zacchaeus. And who knows whatever else happened. Can you imagine being a person in the crowd and all of a sudden this guy who's been stealing your money for years comes back and gives it to you four times as much? starts giving all of his money to the poor. This old Scrooge of a man that everybody hated is now reducing his wealth to nothing 
because of his encounter with Jesus, that doesn't happen. That's God-exclusive activity. And it not only is changing this man's life, transforming him, but it's transforming the community around him. Now, let me rewind. I want us to see again how good Jesus is as we've studied him in the last few weeks. And I want us to see all these characteristics in this story. Jesus receives sinners from both sides. He receives the prodigal coming home. He receives those of us who have grown up in the house and stayed good all of our lives. He receives us. He receives sinners from both sides. Those of us who have nothing and know we have nothing and those of us who think we have something. Also, Jesus sees both in the crowd and he's not so interested in gaining a a group of people for himself as he is about finding individuals whose hearts are ready to complete their repentance and turn their lives over to him so he can show them what life really is. Life to the fullest. More abundant life than you've ever experienced. So all of us need to realize that Jesus sees us individually and is calling to us today. A.W. Tozer said this. I love this. Our most pressing obligation today is to do all in our power to obtain a revival that will result in reformed, revitalized, a reformed, revitalized, purified church. It is of far greater importance that we have better Christians than that we have more of them. It's, it's a heavy message. I hope it's heavy in your heart today. I hope you are, are taking this message and applying it to your life. That, that we, we need to stand in repentance. If you haven't repented of your goodness, your sins of goodness, and given yourself to Christ, today's the day for that. If you've been hearing the truth about Christ and you've seen him and you know that he's here, and right now you know you have not ever taken advantage and can, can identify a moment when you've responded to Christ. Today is the day. Right now is the time. I invite you to respond to Jesus who is calling out to you. He found you today. He found you where you're sitting. He knows you. He wants you. He wants to transform your life in such a way that you will never be the same again. And that's where revival is going to come from, church. It's going to come from transformed people who are falling in love with Jesus and, are, and because of that, their lives are, are different. It's when God changes us, our selfishness, into blessing. So let's pray for that this morning. And we'll have a time of worship. Father, I... I just pray that you will drive this message home personally. Holy Spirit, that you would, we know that you are here, present, standing by. I know that you are working. You're calling out to people right now. You're calling out to hearts that have half repented. They're at the end of themselves, but they've never really turned to you. And I pray right now in this moment that from from hearts of, of brokenness and repentance that they will that each person in this room will turn to you, will say yes to you as you call out to them, as you offer them salvation today. Pray that that they will just pray simply from their hearts, yes, I want you in my life. 
Make those prayers true. If I change us so that this community can see who you are. Thank you that you see us in the crowd. That you're not so fixed as I was, God, on trying to fill churches with people, but rather that you want churches to be people, individuals who have had encounters with you. If it be a lot, then we give you praise. If it be one, then we'll be like the man who lost his sheep and found him and left the 99 for that one. It seems like you're that kind of God. Leaving the crowd, looking to one. Thank you for being that. Thank you for showing us yourself. In Jesus' name.